don't always in introduce our speaker, but I just want to make sure that uh, you know that this is a day that Brother Ken and I have been looking forward to uh, for some time now. And we're so glad to have Patrick Harris uh, bring the message to us today. Patrick and Valerie uh, joined the church some time ago, not too far back, but uh, the Lord has a call on his life to preach the gospel. And so we were really looking forward to hearing him bring the word to us today, Brother Patrick. Thank you, Brother. Appreciate it. Love you too. I hate to hear that you've been waiting so long for it. It's probably going to be a disappointment, but that's okay. No, it's fine. Honestly, I mean, Valerie finished writing it last night, so it should be good. Um, we'll see. She told me not to do this, but I'm going to anyway because I'm vertically challenged and this is going to get on my nerves. She said, look, if you pick up that microphone, you're going to walk around the entire time. I think I'll fall and die if I tried that, so we're not going to do that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 4, the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've been reading in there for some time. I've enjoyed several of our messages and I've just been diving into this and loving every bit of it. And before we get there, I do want to tell you a story about uh, a man named the Amazing Randy, which is a pretty lame stage name, but I didn't make it. It's a real guy, so whatever. Now, his name is the Ama Amazing Randy. He's kind of a magician in the Houdini sense, kind of an escape artist, that kind of thing. Uh, he's actually still alive. He was born in 1928, lives in Ontario, I believe, right now. And uh, he did a couple cool things. One of his greatest tricks was he was encased in a block of ice and escaped, which is awesome. Uh, and then another time he was submerged in an airtight chamber in a, in a pool in London for two hours and escaped somehow. And then there were other tricks as well. Uh, later on, he would actually spend his life debunking uh, psychics and things of that nature very much in the same realm as Houdini himself. Now you say, well, why do you know so much about him? Well, I don't really know that much, but uh, there's a man named uh, Mr. Penn, so you may have heard of Penn and Teller. I don't recommend them, but nonetheless, Mr. Penn is actually a huge fan of him, and he's writing a biography of him right now. And he was, went up to Ontario, and he actually watched him do something. He's, he lived with him, he talked to him, but he, he saw something unique in his day-to-day -day routine, and it kind of you know weirded him out a little bit. And what it was was he would wake up, and he was in the guest room, and across the way you could kind of see where Randy was in the morning. And he would wake up and he would get up every morning and he would go to his wallet. He'd pull a piece of paper out, he'd throw it away. And then he would write something on a new piece of paper, put it back in his wallet and go throughout his day. And he did this every single day. So finally he waited and Randy kind of went off to get ready for the morning. And Penn actually went to the trash can and he pulled it out. And he wanted to read what was on the paper. And the paper read, it said, my name is Randy, it's such and such, and today is, he would have said, actually, this morning, he still does it, he would have said, today is October 13th, 2019, and today I will die. Pretty clever. See, the reason was, when he, we asked about him, he said, one day I am going to eventually die, and someone's going to go through, and they're doing an autopsy, they're going to look at my body, they're going to find this note, and my legend will live on forever, because I could predict my death. That's ridiculous. Anyway, but that's what he did. I mean, that, that, and he still does this right now. He's doing it every day. You say, why on earth would someone take all the time and all the energy to make this such a habit? Why? Because he wanted to leave a legacy. He wanted to be remembered. And I think we all kind of do in, in our own way. You see, a legacy is the story that is told about us when we're gone. What will be remembered for? Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, it's interesting, and now a lot of Proverbs is kind of disconnected with a lot of little pieces of wisdom here and there. But if you actually begin in Proverbs 1, verse 8, and onward till Proverbs chapter 8, this is a really a discourse from Solomon to his son. 
Most believe it was Rehoboam because that would be his heir. He had a lot of children, but this is the one he was going to spend the most time with. And in the middle of this discourse, Solomon himself begins to discuss kind of life as a journey and a legacy that is being built. And that's where we're going to begin today. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Now, my son, pay attention to me, to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. We've probably all said that to our children. <laughs> Listen, right? Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are alive to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So pause. Essentially, Solomon's kind of stopped his, his monologue, if you will, and says, look, if, you really are, if you're going to listen to something, listen to what I have to say about this. He said later on in the next verse, guard your heart above all else. For it's the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your, for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or the left, but keep your feet away from evil. Here's the point. And you can really kind of sum it up this way. Solomon is telling his son, your life is a journey. right? You've got a definite beginning, a definite end. And you're headed in some sort of direction. Your life is going to culminate at this point, at this legacy, at this story that's unwinding through history. He said, now there are a couple things you need to understand. There's your desire. There's your fixation. There's there's where you want to be. There's your direction, how you're going to get there. And then there are distractions, what will stop you. He said, that's great. Now, here's the problem. When I was studying this, you can take Proverbs chapter 4, and you can kind of really twist it to anything you want, right? Okay, I really want a new Corvette and tons of money. So I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to take the actions to get there, and then obviously I'm not going to be distracted by anything that would prevent this, right? We can make this prosperity gospel very quickly. But the question for us as Christians is, how do we take this Old Testament, this Old Covenant wisdom, and apply it to our New Covenant understanding and context. So the better questions to ask this morning are, where should we be aiming for? What is the destination that each of us should strive for? How do we attain it? And then what would stop us? And that is how we're going to build our life, our legacy that really matters. One that is built for Christ. So let's pray and we'll begin this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for the opportunity to stand here and to preach your word. I'm unworthy, I know that. And without you, I'm going to fail. Because I I desire only to say what you would have me to say. More importantly, I ask that you be with those in the seats, that you would work in their hearts, and in spite of my flaw, that you would use your Holy Spirit and your word to work in their hearts, so that today we leave better than when we came. So we would not leave the same but changed drastically to love you more and want more closely with you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So the first thing we have to really honestly figure out is the direction that we're all supposed to go. There's not just this specific thing. I wish there was. I wish I could map out this is exactly how you're supposed to live. This is exactly what you're supposed to do. In fact, I worked with youth most of my ministry. In fact, I worked with teenage boys, number one of all. And if you've ever worked with teenage boys, you better have a very good health insurance premium. I'm telling you, so many injuries. Anyway, now... They would come to me, and I worked with kids who were what were uh, called at-risk teenagers, right? Ones that they had uh, been involved in sin and drugs and all sorts of terrible things. 
But it would be amazing to me when they would click over and when they would accept Christ as their Savior and they would want to live for Him and that's awesome. And they would come to me and say, what, how do I find God's will for my life? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? And I'll be honest with you, that's probably the hardest question I could ever answer. Like, and the Lord wants you to go to this college and marry this person. Like, I don't know, right? Like, there's no way for me to truly answer that. So I began to study a little bit, and I found some verses that really kind of gave me pause. Number one, I found it, and I'm not going to make you turn to each of these, but I will. Uh, I found, first off, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says, Now, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. Now, I read this. Now, when I, when I think of glory, right, I think of like a worship service. We're giving glory to God, okay? And different people do it differently, whether you do like, you know, you're waving the Lord, you just like saying quietly. But I just think of just belting it out and just praising God, right? That, that's what glory is. But that's not what that verse says. This verse specifically says that we are called to glory. We're supposed to attain glory. That's our fixation. That's our point. Furthermore, if we go uh, back into 2 Corinthians... Uh, chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says that we will be changed or transformed from glory to glory. Our end goal is glory. Here at this church, I was sitting back uh, where I usually sit in the back row. Uh, that's my, in case, Addie screams row so I can run, right? And she said, and uh, in Second Corinthians, we actually read this as part of our confession once. We said, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting, Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Our self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Okay. That made no sense to me. What is the weight of glory? What does that mean? We're being prepared for this. So I went around and they were in hands taking time and I asked a couple of people. I said, okay, help me understand this verse. What is the weight of glory? Why does it have weight? And what does glory mean? Usually we got the weight right, right? It means the severity, the importance, the, 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 the overwhelming uh, weight that's on us to achieve this. I said, okay, I get that. Now what does glory mean? I don't know. Great answer. So I, I began to study this out. Now we're called to this. We're going to be transformed to this. We have this weight of glory, but what does it mean? So when in doubt, when you don't understand something, go to C.S. Lewis. Okay, that is my best recommendation, period. Favorite author ever. Okay, so I went to C.S. Lewis. He actually wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, so I cheated a little bit. Now, I went there, and I began to read. And Lewis writes, he says now, uh, that he, he was really fixed at two points. He said, glory either means fame... And he said, that didn't seem right. That seemed wicked, right? Like some sort of fame or recognition. It's almost prideful, almost conceited. He said the other one was luminosity. And his quote, slightly paraphrased, was who wants to spend all of eternity as a giant light bulb? So he didn't really know where to go there. He began to study Aquinas and Milton and Thomas and other theologians, and he found out that glory indeed does mean fame. In fact, if you read into the Greek of this, it's doxa, where we get our, firm, our, our word doxology, to give praise, to give glory. Uh, the Latin estimatado, or estimatito, uh, an estimate. But it's our fame. And now you say, well, all glory is supposed to be to God. Yeah, but it's not fame from our peers. It's fame before the Father. You see, sometimes humility isn't what you think it is. 
I love when Lewis writes, as he wrote on this, he said, If you remember that no man can come before the Father except as a child, what does a child love more than the praise of their father? So I have Addie, right? I have two little girls. I have Carlin, who makes very little noise, like the chillest baby of all time. Okay, then I have Addie. Love her very loud. Um, and she's full of energy. And, and she, she's my buddy, right? And so one of the things that uh, she likes to do is she'll grab me by the hand and she'll walk me over somewhere and she'll say, okay, Dad, come here, come here, come here. Okay, I have no idea where I'm going. She'll, she'll bring me to this room. It's her big girl room, okay? And she'll stand there. And then she just starts to sing. Now, look, I love her, but she doesn't get, like, harmony and rhythm. She just knows if you scream it out, right, so that the neighbors can hear it, you're doing good. So that's what she does. She belts it out. Right now it's Frozen, okay? And regardless of your opinion of Disney, that is her thing. She loves Frozen, and she's obsessed with it. And so she's just singing, like, let it go. And it's it's wonderful, okay? And then she's like, the rest of us are in a car because we don't know the words. She's like, let it go. Yeah, you know, that's how she does it. And here's what she realizes. She knows that I, that just, it, it makes me happy. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to clap, right? And her rule is, as long as daddy is clapping, then she's going to keep singing. Like that's going, it's like an hour long performance. It's wonderful. She's even got the bow down. It's great. Well, what does that, what does that have to do with anything? Well, that little girl, it's her whole goal to make me smile. Lewis continues to write, he says, so often is it also in our life that our goal is to bring a smile to the Father's face. Think about this for a moment. We as wretched men, bound in our sin, actually have the realistic possibility to take part in divine happiness. That somehow, not only will we enter into His glory and be pitied, but we will actually bring delight like an artist looking upon His work so the Father looks upon us and is pleased in us. That is the weight of glory. That you truly can please God. Spurgeon writes and says, if it is in fact possible for man to attain the happiness and the pleasing of God, it should be the all-consuming focus of our life. But so often it's not. You see, the reality is, is we build our legacy on everything else but the eternal. And we live a life of insignificance. Our goal, our heart... Our aim should be the heart of the Father. And that's it. So that's why when Solomon, he begins, he says, guard your heart. That's where we have to begin. What is it that consumes your heart? Is it that which is consuming to please your God, to please your Father, or is it something else? Because most assuredly, your heart will determine your destination. And if heaven is not your aim, if pleasing God is not your focus, that can guarantee you your legacy will not be one that does. First, we must fix our desire upon the desire of heaven, which is the praise of God. But how do we get there? So I've always been taught, like you bounce your sermon ideas off of people. 
I did that with Weston this week, and later on I told him I hated him. Um, and here's why. Because uh, we're sitting there, and I'm talking, I tell him this first point, like, this is our desire, this is what God wants us to do. And he's like, yeah, that's awesome. Just how do we do it? I don't know. Why are you messing with me? Like, that's what, how my reaction was, right? Like, why, I, I, how do we get there? Like, I want a list. I couldn't find one. And you know what? No matter how urgently we desire to please God... If we don't know how to do it, we're just kind of left and we're going to walk out tomorrow, go to work, and, and have nothing to apply. So I thought on this for, for some time. Honestly, I wrestled with it this week. And I actually came across a couple of writers that I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, one of them was Kevin DeYoung, and he said this. He said that the pleasure of God is directly connected to our pursuit of holiness. What does that mean? Well, to go on further, it's simply this, that God rejoices in a holy life dedicated to Him in obedience. So let me play it out this way for you. Now, going back to Addie, there are certain relationships that are static and then dynamic. Okay, Static doesn't change, dynamic fluctuates. All right? I will always love my daughter. Period. I will always be wrapped around her little finger. She understands this. And I will always disapprove of any boy that she ever brings to my house. Okay. Um, Now, that being said, there's nothing that she can do to change our relationship from father to daughter. She could rebel. She could live out ever she wants. She could go far away from me and she will always be my daughter. That's static. Right? And so also is our relationship with God. We understand that under grace, that salvation has nothing to do with us. It's all of God. It's all of grace. And therefore, we are kept by grace for all eternity. You're saying, are you saying once saved, always saved? Absolutely. Okay, it is. That's what I believe. So, now, that is the static relationship. But here's the other part. There's the dynamic relationship. So Addie's singing in her room, and she's just getting down with her Frozen song. And that's great, Right? But then I say, okay, Adeline, it's time for dinner. Okay, so you need to stop this. And I want you to come join me here for what I've prepped for you. Or what Valerie's prepped for you, because if I prepped it, it'd be burnt. So what, what Valerie has prepped for you, okay? I want you to join me. I want you to leave what you want and come to me in obedience and be here. Now, here's the catch 22. My daughter's at this age, she's two, okay? Pray for me. Um, and, and she now all of a sudden is, is deaf. So she can't hear that. Right? It's like, Adeline, come here. Uh, Adeline, come here. I just, I don't even know where I put that. Addie, come here. Oh, okay. And guess what? Though I love her, our relationship is on a downturn. Okay? Because now instead of standing in my favor, she is now standing in my judgment. Okay, and, and I will judge. All right, that's just how that works. Now, if she repents, if she turns and she says, Okay, dad told me to come here, I'm going to leave this momentary pleasure, and I'm going to come to what he's prepared for me. She's in my good graces, she's pleasing to me. But until then, she's not pleasing to me, and there's wrath to come. You say, Well, how does this apply in the Christian context? Well, 
Here's a fact. Solomon lays it out for us. He says this is a destination. There are certain actions that lead you to there. The fact is that we cannot please God unless our actions are pleasing to God. This is what holiness is. Holiness is the call of sanctification. It's the call of Christians to draw closer to God in righteous living. Now pause. Now I will tell you this. There's two extremes that you have to be careful with here. Okay. First of all, there's legalism, and then there's antinobilism, which I hope I said that right. Probably did. Right. So legalism is simply this. Okay. So now I'm going to make any little tradition and any little standard the standard of God. All right. And that's what we live by. Well, that's what the Pharisees did, and that doesn't please God. Okay. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about taking random characterizations that aren't clear in Scripture and now lifting them up as doctrine. That does not please God. In fact, God says you've replaced the doctrines of God with the traditions of men. It's against God. Okay, so we're not talking about that either. But there's another movement in Christianity that says we don't need all these rules and standards. Anti-nomalism, anti-however you say it, but it means against the law. No law. Full liberty. So it's this understanding that I'm saved, I will enter into God's kingdom, there's nothing that can change my static relationship with God, so therefore I can live as I please. That is also against God. God has called us to a more righteous life day by day. 1 Thessalonians 4 1 says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we're instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Look, your legacy is not going to be built in a day. Your legacy is a life of holiness that each step draws you closer and closer and closer to the image of your father. God is most pleased when he looks at his children and they reflect his character. That's what holiness is. I like John Wesley. Okay, John Wesley is one of my favorite theologians. Like, period. Top five out there. Next to him is Jonathan Edwards, which I know does not go together, but I love them both. Anyway... So I love John Wesley, and I have his journals, and I was reading through, and I read through uh, one of his commitments. These are his vows that he made. The first one, I thought, was a little much. Okay. Uh, the first one was that I am going to give all truth to all men unvarnishedly at all times. If you like Enneagrams, he was an eight. That is awesome. Okay. He says, look, if, you, if I think your baby's ugly, I'm telling you. That's exactly what he just said. Anyway. Now, number two was, was this. He said, and, okay, a little obsessive. He said, I will ensure myself to take no part of any levity. I will not laugh even once. Okay, so he's a little crazy. But anyway, the third one I truly do love. He says, I will dedicate every ounce of my being and every action of my day to the glory of my Savior. Now, we don't have to be as extreme as him. I understand that. You're, you can laugh. It's fine. Okay. But here's what that means. See, I, I wanted to make holiness a list, right? If I do these three things, love, joy, faith, patience, whatever it is, I'm pleasing to God, I'm good. And then there you go. And nothing else matters. But that's not how holiness works. Holiness and sanctification is simply setting the Word of God via the Spirit of God and letting every interaction throughout a day screen through it. That's holiness. It's striving more and more each day by God's grace to be more like Christ in obedience to Scripture. And that's how we please God. 
Now, this is the catch I get. Well, what about Paul, right? I do the things that I know I'm not supposed to do. I don't do the things I know I should do. There's no way for me to be perfect. And you're right. You will never be perfect. It's not going to happen. Okay. So yes, me and Wesley disagree on another point, but we're never going to be perfect, but it's not the perfection of holiness that pleases God. It's the pursuit. I love, once again, I'm going to quote Lewis as he says this, God so desires that we walk with him. He is pleased even in our stumbles. God is not asking for you to be perfect. That's, that's, that's unrealistic. He's only asking that you pursue Him more each day. And, and here's the reason why. Because there's not only the pursuit of holiness, there's the pleasure of holiness. You see, we're like children fiddling about with every little thing that we can that distracts us when God actually has tied Himself to things that are more beneficial for us. His holiness, His pleasure is simply that which will make your life better anyway. Like I said, I worked with at-risk teenagers and I remember them talking and they all sorts of sins. From uh, drugs and uh, impurity and every last little thing. And I remember sitting with a few of them and they literally told me, they said, oh man, you've never done this, you've never done that. I said, no. And they're like, you've missed out. On What? What have I missed out on besides broken relationships, broken homes, a mother that's at home crying right now, a life that's ruined and wrecked? Holiness is living in the most pleasurable life you can. And you'll find that the, the more you follow Christ, the happier your life is. There is a definite joy tied to the pursuit of God's holiness. But there's one more thing. There is a very simple and easy way to be distracted by this. See what I mean? In his book, The Wonder Healer, Henry Newman, he recalls a story of four brothers in India. The four brothers, they set out to each learn a different skill or a different trait. So they met back together after several years, and one said, I have mastered a special science, right? And what I'm going to do is, if if I can take any bone of any animal, then automatically I can actually give flesh to that bone. The second said, well, if you can give flesh to the bone, I can also create the skin and hair, the outer elements. A third said, I'm able to create its limbs. I'm able to create all the last little intricacies of it. And the fourth said, I have the greatest ability. I can bring it to life. And so they went out together and they said, we're going to demonstrate our great power. It just so happened that as they were walking, they found a bone of a lion. The first brother brought all the bones and all the sinews together. The second, they put on its hide. The third gave it its paws, its claws. And then the fourth brought it to life. They had achieved it. And then the roaring lion looked at them, killed them, ate them all, and disappeared into the jungle. Indian proverbs are really, really pleasant. Okay. Um, you say, what's the point? The point is this. We're very capable of creating the very thing that will devour us if left to our own will. You see, here's the thing. We are idol makers. Naturally. We talked about that in Sunday school. Right? 
And it's our natural, natural point. Like little children obsessed with a toy. To make something primary when indeed it should be secondary. And there's idols everywhere. And that's why Solomon, he tells us not to turn to the right or left. Not to be given to these distractions. Lest we fail to meet our objective. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like, hey, God's cult caught me the holy living, but somebody said something mean to my kids, and so it's on, right? So now our children have taken the point of making sure that we obey Scripture and love our neighbor. Hey, you know what? I know that God has commanded me to go and tell my neighbor the gospel because I know they're not saved. But that's kind of awkward. So we make ourselves our own idol and our, our own idol and our own pride. You see, the daily battle is who you're going to worship, who you're going to allow to have control of your life and your destiny, and that will determine it all. I'll close with this. I, I'm not long with it. There's two men, and they were brothers. And they both became uh, a horse thief. And they, it was back in, in that time, and they, they took the horses and blah, blah, blah. They were caught. When they were caught, they both were going to be branded with a T. That T was to represent a thief, kind of like the scarlet letter, if you've ever read that book. And so they both were pinned to the ground. They were branded. They spent several years in prison, and they got out. One brother lived his life as he would when he got out in a shame of, of being a thief and eventually took his own life. His life was wasted. The other brother turned around. He actually took part in a parsonage. He became a minister and he lived his life righteously from then on. And when someone asked about the mark upon his forehead, they said, what does that represent? They said, that represents the cross for his dedication to his Savior. You see, his legacy had become one of Christ rather than his past. Today, we're all in the middle of a journey. And we cannot change what has already taken place in our life one way or the other. But what we can control is from here on out, what story will our children have? What story will be told about us? What, what will our life be lived for? Well, dad or mom, they, you know, they did this or that. They left me a bunch of money. Or they, they made sure I was in the best schools. Or, or will they say that dad or mom truly loved their God? What legacy will you leave? A life that's lived for one purpose. To bring a smile to our Father's face. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the extreme opportunity that we have. That by your Spirit and by your grace, we could bring a smile to your face. I ask now, Lord Jesus, that you be with us. I ask that you be with us tomorrow. That we would pursue your holiness for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.